Draco Malfoy and the Mortifying Ordeal of Being in Love. Written by Is This Self-Care. Narrated by S.E.P. Chapter 16. The Seneca. The bath and the nap which had been at the forefront of Draco's mind inspired his choice of destination. He and Granger materialized in the foyer of the Seneca, London's choiciest wizard hotel. Draco hoisted Granger up to her feet. The employees at the Seneca were the epitome of discretion, including the witch who stepped out from behind the front desk, took no notice of their filthy clothing, and graciously asked if they were looking for a room or dining at the hotel. The mention of dining made Granger go dangerously green. Draco propped her onto a bench and made arrangements for a room with the front desk witch. The woman, sensing that they wanted a room more than chit-chat about the hotel's amenities, summoned an ornate key, whisked them to the lifts, and inquired if they had any luggage. No, nothing, and certainly no illegal skulls, thank you. And so Draco reached the end of this bizarre day, in one of the Seneca's famous suites overlooking the Kensington Palace Gardens, with a droopy granger thrown decoratively across a chaise lounge. On the low table next to her, a carafe of water magically materialized, as well as a bucket. Thoughtful sort, that front desk witch. Deciding that Granger had been sufficiently provided for, Draco went off to shower. That was a delightful experience, far more enjoyable than the small closet provided by the Hotel Plaisance. Draco turned on every single jet that was available, amused himself with the soap selections, and didn't crack his elbows against a wall once, which was good, because he had a nice bruise going on on his left one from that morning's activities. Thoroughly clean now, Draco decided that he was a little peckish and placed an order for a light dinner with the mirror. Then, given that he hadn't any clothes to save for the reeking pile that he had stripped off, he pulled on a fluffy white dressing gown and matching slippers. As he tied the dressing gown, he made sure that the V at the opening properly exposed the best of his chest, because he liked to show off in general, and not because of Granger in particular. Water droplets glistened artfully across his pectorals and down to where the top of his abs peeked out. Then he fixed his hair so that it was appropriately, sexily mussed up, for that post-shower delicious look. The mirror commented that he looked quite divine. I know, said Draco. He emerged from the shower in the midst of well-being, sexiness, and soap. And he needn't have bothered with any of it, really. Granger didn't even look up when he exited the bathroom in his steamy glory. She was engrossed in her mobile. The water had been drunk and the bucket looked unused. At least she was feeling better. The RLC, exclaimed Granger, with her eyes riveted on the mobile. That's where we were. It was almost completely desiccated in the 60s because of Soviet irrigation projects. A blow-by-blow account of the sea's disappearance followed, with much outraged commentary from Granger on what an ecological disaster it was. Meanwhile, the sexy droplets of water dried off of Draco's pectorals, uselessly unseen by any audience whatsoever. Sod the RLC. Where was Granger's concern for Draco's desiccated chest? Riveting, said Draco. Granger, detecting his lack of enthusiasm for her information, lowered her mobile. She looked him up and down, from the ends of his artfully tossed hair to his slippered feet. Her sole comment, Haven't you any clothes? No, I haven't, given that my luggage is currently enjoying a sojourn on the coast of Provence along with yours. Ugh, Granger tilted her head back against the chaise lounge in exhausted annoyance. I'll make arrangements to have it sent back. And the car! We're going to get about twelve parking fines, not to mention a nice kerfuffle to have the thing returned. Why can't anything be simple? Right. I need a shower next, if you're done. I stink of crypt, and now I'm self-conscious about it because you smell good. You smell like soap. With that, Granger rose and proceeded to monopolize the shower for a full hour. 
Draco's room service shimmered into existence on the low table. Granger, he called at the bathroom door. There's food. Do you want any, or I shall I eat it all? Have it all, came Granger's voice from amidst the sound of spraying. I just want tea. Ask the mirror, said Draco. The mirror? Yes, for the tea. Draco heard the mirror interject that the tea would be up momentarily. Granger thanked it. Interesting feeling, to be talking to Granger while she was naked. Draco made it all the way to dessert, chocolate bonbons, before Granger came out of the bathroom. She, too, was now wearing a dressing gown, ridiculously oversized on her. Draco noted that Granger had not strategically left a V open at the front. Rather, she had crossed both sides into each other so high that the robe covered her to the chin. Nor had she sexily mussed her hair, which was a wet pile on top of her head, held in place by her wand. She shuffled over in two big slippers. What? she said as she noted Draco's observation. Then she looked down at herself. Rather like a gnome in a housecoat, isn't it? I'd like to know whose boat-like feet these slippers were designed for. A steaming pot of tea popped into existence on the low table as Granger approached. She pulled some pillows off of the bed and made a cozy nest for herself on the floor next to it. "'What are you doing with your clothes?' she asked with a gesture at the torn, strained pile that she had left in the bathroom next to his. "'I unstitched my extendable pocket. I can't decide if it's worth sending them to the laundry. Do we donate to orphans?' "'Burn them,' said Draco. "'But what about the orphans?' "'The orphans can burn them to warn their hovels. Stop talking about the reeking clothes. You're putting me right off my chocolate bonbons.' Granger sighed at him, like she wanted to tell him that she was dreadful, but it wasn't worth the effort, because he already knew that. Then she noticed a note on the table. What's this? A welcome note from the hotel, said Draco. Granger picked up the note, which was addressed to Miss Hormone and Mr. Crutch, read Granger. She set it down. Slowly, her hands rose to cover her face. Then, for a long minute, her shoulders shook and she made small sounds muffled by her hands. Um... "'Are you laughing or crying?' asked Draco at length, because if it was the latter, he supposed that he ought to do something. "'Both,' hiccuped Granger. She sniffed and then rose to fetch a tissue. When she returned, her eyes were bright and a bit red around the edges. Her nose was pink. She resumed her seat at the low table and poured herself tea. "'I can't believe you did that to me again.' "'They wanted names downstairs,' shrugged Draco. "'Though I rather suspect the witch knew who we were.' "'Do you think so?' We came in looking like a pair of muggle ruffians, one of which was bilious, and the other limping like Mad-Eye. I wasn't limping like Mad-Eye. Oh, yes, you were. Still are. Though the heat from the shower helped you. Do you want me to heal it again? Draco pondered this, then swallowed his pride and slid on the floor next to her. He flipped open the dressing gown to expose his knee. I didn't realize you observed me so closely, said Draco, because she certainly didn't observe the things he wished her to observe, the irritating creature. Granger's wand tickled at his leg hair as she passed it over his knee. Don't flatter yourself. It comes with my job. Rather like how you assess everyone as though they're a secret assassin. Draco scoffed. It's true, said Granger. You eye everyone up like you're deciding how best to break their necks. To say nothing of your devious uses of legilimency, she muttered a healing spell, then added, It's not a complaint, mind you. It does feel safer to have someone at your caliber about, especially today. Today would have been an absolute catastrophe had I attempted it on my own. Draco supposed that he could inform her that she'd performed quite competently in the field herself, and that he had been properly impressed by a few of her stunts, but Granger completed the healing and the moment passed. She gave his knee a pat, as though he were a naughty boy who had fallen out of a tree, and not an aura who had been attacked by a rampaging manticore. There, now, 
No more dramatic rolls on concrete for a week. Parnell won't be as nice as I am. Then she pulled at the edge of Draco's robe and tucked it forcefully under his thigh. I promise no dangly bits are going to escape without permission, said Draco, observing this activity. I'm not chancing it, especially with a man named Crutch. Draco released an unexpected snort of amusement, so strong that it hurt his nose. Granger looked prim. Today has been a comedy of errors. Right, let's not tempt the fates, said Draco, which was a big fat lie because Draco had had a vague, not quite formed idea of tempting the fates by looking wildly seductive for absolutely no reason and seeing where that went. It had gone precisely nowhere. There had been an interesting sort of potential in hot showers in a luxurious hotel suite and being all but stark bollock naked with a witch. But that was all it was. Potential. Existing in possibility, but not in actuality. With any other witch, yes. With this witch, no. This was Granger, and Granger was, well, Granger. Now she kicked off her oversized slippers and moved to the window. She undid her hair from its wet pile and untangled it with her fingers. The curtains opened magically as she approached, desiring to show off the exclusive view of the Kensington Palace Gardens. As she combed out her hair, Granger admired the vista, regaled Draco with bits of muggle and magical history on the place. The sun was setting upon the British Isles, as it had set hours ago on the graveyard of ships in the desert. Two sunsets in one day,' said Granger with a sigh. "'Rather magical, isn't it?' And she stood in the red light, rather magical herself, as though touched by fire. And gloaming fell upon the great city of London, and the sky turned to purple, and then finally came night. Draco had a glimpse of the enchantress with a cascade of hair tumbling down her back, and then she twisted it up and she was Granger again. Draco joined her at the window. Rather fewer stars than with the ships. Rather, said Granger, peering upwards. Should anyone seek our counsel on where to build the next great wizarding observatory, we will have an answer. Does that happen to you frequently, being asked where to build observatories? Oh, daily, hourly even. Doesn't it happen to you? Of course. I field incessant inquiries as I care for the orphans. Good of you. I must oblige. Granger glanced up at him with a look that told him he was an absolute smartass. Unless he was mistaken, there was a kind of latent fondness in it, though it was very, very deep down. She pulled her robe more tightly around herself. Do you think that that mirror would send up some clothing for us? I don't fancy going to the foyer and flu in this finery. You're ready to face the flu again so soon? asked Draco. He had been rather enjoying this interlude of peace and luck's decadence, and, well, nice company. It was the detente after an adventure. If it was strictly up to him, he would have planned untold hours of idleness and fluffy beds and several more delectable meals, and visiting the spa, and perhaps a massage. He would have most certainly carried on until past Monday, with an explanation to Tonks that he and Granger were recovering from an ordeal. Granger, however, did not seem to even consider this delicious potential for lazing about, Granger was not that sort of woman. Granger was the type to drag you on a violent adventure, reduce your brain to boiled mash through hours of curse-breaking, impose exhausting transcendental moments upon you under the stars, have you fly her across a desert, and then, over tea, expect you to form some kind of intelligent opinion on Soviet irrigation projects. Beastly. Am I ready? No. But I must get on. I have so much to do, now that I have the fragment. And crooks will be waiting, you know. Draco strode to the mirror to cover his mild disappointment. Very well, let's make arrangements for the clothes. The request for robes was made, for a tall wizard and a witch of approximate height of a pixie. Granger struck in her head into the bathroom and corrected this non-error. It took about a quarter of an hour for the clothing to be sent up, 
Draco supposed that the unusual request must have sent the hotel house elves all of a dither. Eventually, their dinner things faded off the table, and two tidy packages surfaced. The state establishment had sent up equally sedate attire. The clothes were in the traditional style, with a great many buttons for Draco, and a great deal of lacing for Granger. Well, said Granger, eyeing her dark blue robes, it'll do to get me to the flu, anyway. Look, under things, said Draco, holding up a spectacularly unsexy pair of bloomers. You could look like my great-aunt Argyra. Ugh, no. Draco added the bloomers to the orphan-burning pile. Granger went into the bathroom to change, while Draco made relatively quick work of his new attire, save for the buttons, which were too finicky for him, to fasten using his wand. He did them halfway to his throat, and then decided that he didn't care enough to do them up further. They were only making themselves decent for a walk across the foyer to the flu, after all. Granger popped out of the bathroom with a similar problem, although hers consisted of ribbons and laces. I see that these robes come with an assumption that the wearer will have a lady-in-waiting. Would you help? Draco, having no idea how to tie proper knots for a lady's robe, opted to grasp a handful of the ribbons and shove them into the back of the dress, and he did not spend a moment thinking about how Granger was not wearing underthings, thank you. That doesn't feel quite right, said Granger as the ribbons were stuffed in. No, it's utterly shambolic. The naughty bits are covered, that's what matters. They stepped in front of the mirror for a look before they descended to the foyer. Draco said that Granger looked terribly like a pure-blood wife, off to drop off the Sprogs at King's Cross in 1961. Granger said that Draco looked like he'd just exited Scotland Yard in 1825. The mirror chimed in to register its opinion that they were an exceedingly handsome couple. Granger shuddered. Draco ran away. The Seneca's foyer was irritatingly busy. Draco, doing mental arithmetic involving two sunsets, realized that it was only Saturday night in London. The crowds were made more sense. The Seneca's dining rooms were the place to be for a certain slice of London's wizarding set. The flue hearth was just across the foyer, crackling cheerful at them as they exited the lift. Granger's stride lengthened. We can finally put this surreal day behind us. Then she stopped and grasped Draco's arm in her pitchy grasp and whipped him toward her. What? Shh, said Granger, flattening herself against the wall and maneuvering Draco to stand in front of her. Stand there. What are we... Be big. Why are you always so large and in the way, except when I need you to be? Asked Granger in a peevish whisper. Shield me. From who? Asked Draco, dearly wishing to turn around and assess the secret assassin, and perhaps murder him in cold blood. Cormac. McClagan? How many other bloody Cormacs do you know? Asked Granger. She raised her hands to Draco's robes and pulled up his collar, as though the flaps would afford her more privacy. What's he done? Oh, he's only been infatuated with me for years. Tenacious kind of man. Sticky. Vicious, really. Stay there. His group is about to go into the dining rooms. No, wait, they're still talking. I'm going to cast a notice-me-not. Oh, no, Derek's just spotted you. I think it's your stupid hair, like a beacon across the bloody Pennines. No, they're coming this way. I was never here. Goodbye. With that, Granger slipped under Draco's arm and attempted to dart back toward the lift but it opened and a veritable flood of ladies and gentlemen ready for dinner poured out and battered her to the side like a piece of flotsam. Granger disillusioned herself and asked why the lift was a bloody bollocksing clown car. Draco, having gathered that his role was now to distract and deflect, turned around and greeted the approaching Derek with a handshake. Peregrine, my little lamb chop, how are you? And McClagan with a very long double handshake. Hello, I don't believe we've met. I'm Draco Malfoy. Yes, I know I need no introduction. Are you here for dinner with this scoundrel? I believe I remember you from Hogwarts. Do you still play Quidditch? 
You must join us at the pitch. Peregrine comes on occasion. Still a decent beater, though the swing's less powerful than it used to be. A touch of arthritis in his shoulder, I fancy. Poor blighter. Do join us. Wednesday nights at the manor. We've only had one death in five years. It's all in good fun, really. McLagan had grown into a tall chap, as tall as Draco, and quite handsome. No, Draco decided immediately that he didn't like him. So the man looked frighteningly confused as Draco's effusive greeting, which probably ran contrary to Draco's general reputation as an arsehole. By the time McLagan had regained possession of his hand, however, Granger had disappeared. Right, Draco said. I must be off. Aren't you dining, Malfoy? asked Peregrine. A smirk played across his mouth. Or did you have other business you were getting on with? Other business? repeated Draco with an innocent blink. I could have sworn I'd seen Hermione with you said McLagan, sidestepping around Draco to look towards the lifts. I'd know that witch anywhere. Hermione? Hermione Granger? With me, said Draco, his eyebrows at his hairline. McLagan, still gazing longingly beyond Draco's shoulder, did a kind of double-take towards him. Oh, uh, I suppose I've been seeing things. Peregrine scoffed. They'd sooner kill each other than talk, I'd wager. McLagan's gaze slid to Draco's half-unbuttoned robes and then to his crooked collar, which looked rather like a lady had gripped it in the last five minutes. I suppose, he said, but there was doubt in his voice. Draco decided that a spot of legitimacy was in order to quantify that doubt, and besides, Granger had felt unsafe and fled from this man, and given that his principal had felt threatened, Draco was well within his rights to investigate. The sound reasoning completed, Draco touched at McLagan's mind to see if this wanker had the slightest training in oculancy. He did not. Draco made a few remarks on the recent win of the Kestrels over the cannons. When both of his interlocutors were occupied with the subject, he had a look at McLagan's brains, such as they were. He kept his examination at surface level, flicking through the man's most recent thoughts. He saw himself as McLagan had seen him across the foyer, pressed against the figure of a woman in navy robes, with dark hair piled onto her head. Then he saw the woman's back as she slipped toward the lift, undone ribbons streaming behind her. McLagan was certain that Draco had been snogging someone, and that almost certain had been Granger. Only the formal robes had thrown him off. That, and the fact that she'd been with Draco Malfoy, of all people. The cognitive dissonance of the latter rang throughout the memory. Then, Draco found associated memories. Granger speaking at the Ministry a year or two ago, and then fleeing from McLagan's amorous attentions. Granger giving McLagan flustered excuses to avoid a dinner date as he grasped at her hand. Granger at a pub with her friends, cornered by McLagan near the loo and fending off his drunken kiss. Something like fear in her eyes. Every memory was tinged by McLagan's mounting frustration, longing, and a chilling ongoing obsession with Granger. Draco fought a very real urge to break McLagan's handsome jaw. Any further delving into the wizard's memories would bear the risk of discovery. Draco retreated from his mind and seamlessly rejoined the conversation with a snide remark on the performance of the Kestrel's chasers. Meanwhile, he added McLagan to his blacklist. They said their goodbyes. Draco grinned as he shook McLagan's hand. Enjoy your dinner. See you at the pitch, I very much hope. Derek and McLagan left. Draco stalked off in search of Granger. Here, hissed a familiar whisper as Draco passed the lifts. Granger's voice led to a sort of conference room, just off the corridor. It was dark. Is he gone? asked Granger. Soon, said Draco. Their reservation is half past. Where are you? Here, Granger undid her disillusionment. Why do you look so murderous? What? This is my usual face. No, your eyes are flashing. We had an argument about Quidditch. Granger's dark gaze studied Draco in the penumbra. 
She had a hand on her hip. Quidditch. Yes. So focused was Granger's study of his eyes that Draco reflexively occluded, even if Granger wasn't a legilimens. Granger saw the change, and her focus grew even more acute. You're lying. Let's go to the flu. Granger refused to be distracted. What happened? How long are you going to let McClagan terrorize you before you curse off his balls? I knew it, said Granger in a shrill mix of triumph and annoyance. You use legilimency on him. You can't do that. I can, and I did. Those are private matters. They have nothing to do with you. He's a danger to you. What exactly did you see? Enough to decide he's a threat. A threat, repeated Granger. He's just a handsy idiot. I can, and always have, handled him in the way I deem most appropriate. If I thought hexing off his balls was the correct approach, I assure you I would have done so. Why haven't you? Because there are larger things at play. What larger things? asked Draco, and don't say his penis. Ugh, disgusting. No. He's on the MNHS Foundation Trust and on St. Mungo's Board of Directors. Even reporting him would have repercussions I need to balance carefully, much less a direct attack on his genitalia. He's one fire whiskey away from cornering you in a toilet and stunning you, said Draco. Granger made a gesture of flat dismissal. He would never cross that line. He's not that stupid. He toes it, that's all. Stop looking like that, like you're about to go duel him in the foyer. Draco scoffed. He isn't worthy of a duel. I'd happily curse him in the back. No cursing. No nothing. None of this has anything to do with you. You shouldn't have seen any of it. Nothing to do with me, repeated Draco with fresh pique. I've been mandated to keep you safe. That is literally why I'm here, right now, dressed like a Victorian barista, after a day of frolicking about labyrinths. To keep me safe in the scope of my activities as a researcher, not my personal life. This may shock you, but if you're injured or incapacitated in your personal life, there would be a definite impact on your ability to research. Do you disagree? Granger raised her eyes to the dark ceiling. You're acting like McClagan is going to tear me limb from limb. Were you in his head? No. Then I'll decide what he's likely to do, said Draco, tapping at his own chest with unnecessary force. Granger studied him. Then, warily asked, Did you see him want to tear me limb from limb? No, conceded Draco, but you've maddened him for years. I know. The quarrel was blowing itself out. Granger's hands were now hooked into the back of a chair, rather than bald at her hips. Draco had stopped looking murderously in the direction of the foyer. Are there any other randy suitors that I need to be aware of? asked Draco after a beat. Granger put a finger on her lip and thought. At length, she said, not to McLagan's extent. That doesn't inspire confidence. Granger tossed her head. What can I say? I'm magnetic. I can't even walk across a room without wizards falling into my lap. Draco recognized an echo of some of his own claims during their dance at the Delacroix party. At this very hotel, in fact. It was the exaggerated accent that got to him. I do not sound that posh, Granger. Oh, yes, you do. You sound like you're about to go to the opera after a day of shooting innocent wildlife. Partridges, probably. I rather thought you were going to say orphans. You are terrible, but not that terrible. Now, promise me you won't go and do something stupid about McLagan. I promise I shan't do anything stupid about McLagan, said Draco truthfully. Granger's eyes narrowed at him in the shadowy room, and she wisely rephrased her demand. Promise me you won't do anything about McLagan, full stop. No, said Draco. Please, no. Malfoy, fine, I promise. I wish I believed you. I wish you did, too. Granger massaged her temples. All right. I will take you at your word. I have no other choice. 
Draco did not bother to point out the severity of this mistake. Now Granger stepped to the conference room door and poked her head out. I think the coast is clear. Draco joined her at the door to ascertain the same. Right, notice me knots this time, and a brisk pace. Thus equipped, they traversed the busy foyer and made it to the hearth without further interruption. The mitre, said Granger, tossing in flu powder. The flames turned green and awaited Granger's approach. Granger looked over her shoulder towards Draco, a new hesitancy in her expression. Poor darling, be brave, said Draco in mock encouragement. Granger straightened. I was going to say thank you for today, but never mind. Only doing my job, said Draco, with as much devil-may-care as he could inject into it, as though today hadn't been a wickedly dangerous ordeal. Right, but perhaps a bit above and beyond. Nonsense, Granger sighed. All right, goodbye then. Granger, what? Tell your cat, I said. <laughs> Her smile was bright. She turned and she disappeared into the fire. And briefly, it felt like there was less gravity in the room.